In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. Happy morning if you're a Jets fan. Extremely sad day if you're a Browns fan. But I'm here with Jack Duffin and Ian Right, Right, Right. Jack, how are you feeling? It was uh, it, it was awful. Um, there was long moments where we got to the end of the first half and a very, very slight change. If you look, if we stop that, fourth down punt attempt and we don't get the flag on white teller we sat here talking about either 17 nil or um 21 nil and then that's the first half and just those two events change it to a 14 14 game so it's it, it just taking the first half as a group incredible how it just flips on it, its head because that that's the nfl that's why we love the NFL. But Jack, the truth is, mate, we lost. Yeah. No, no yeah. way to fuck that up. Ian, right, right, right. How are you feeling? It's, I will say, gentlemen, it is a privilege to come on here and talk about how the Browns just have historical moments throughout. In the course of one NFL season, we will see history made five times the first team to break a streak from 04 home openers, everybody's high to the first team since the Browns did it, which I distinctly remember in 2001, giving up 14 points in one minute and 55 seconds. So I've got to the point now, obviously I love my Browns, but these losses will make me silent for about an hour. And then I remember that I've seen it before actually multiple times and you just, I think the best thing for him is we have another game Thursday night. But uh, to Jack's point, welcome to the NFL. One, two, three. I mean, you could go through the course of this game and find five single instances, plays, players that change the outcome of the game. That's why it's a team win. It's a team loss. The team lost. I just want to say a huge thanks to our listeners at this point. It's not until I come out to Cleveland and and like people just come up to me and go Ian right 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 or talk about things that we've spoken about on the podcast so um yeah just a real quick shout out to uh, Matt who drove me from Columbus to Cleveland he's an avid listener Wes listens wants to come on the podcast Matt wants to come on the podcast big shout out to uh Green Power Ranger, super fan, Adam's birthday today. But yeah, it's, it's just overwhelming how much of the community come up to me and actually talk about the podcast. So I know everyone wants to listen to what our reactions are. They love our three-way different views. Jack being analytically and nerdy, boring. Ian Wright with his biased views. And me just not paying attention and not listening, you know. They just love the dynamics of the podcast. But, yeah, anyway, let's get back to the... Real quick, Paul, how many shots do you think you had over the last 48 hours? That's Friday. That'd be from Friday night through right now. You know what? Not that many. I've probably had about 20. But I've been to some games where I've done, like, before the Ravens game, when I was in Baltimore for 17 hours, I did 20 shots easy that day. So, uh, but yeah. Um, it was yeah. hilarious. You stood next to Joe Thomas. I've never I was going to just before. say that. You're a Jack, midget. <laughs> you, I looked and I said, Paul's doing a shot with Joe Thomas. Paul looks like he could be Joe Thomas's son. <laughs> he just Now, Joe Thomas, for the record, is 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, I forget. And Paul, you're strapping, you know. 5'7". Five, 5'7". Five, 
I was gonna I was gonna try to list it in a European height to confuse all our American listeners. One seventy centimeters. There you go. So, but yeah, Jack, to your point, I was gonna say when you did that shot, <laughs> I was dying. Or right, actually, I know we don't want to do our normal podcast, but I will just break off here and tell you what happened. We started off in Tremont in Dante's Dante's bar. It was his birthday. Big shout out to Dante as well. Dante, whatever he's called. Um, got a nice little table in there, had some food. And then Larry, Muni Lock guy, goes, Let's go farm. We've been invited to the farm. And I've never been to the farm. I don't know what the farm is. It's down in the flats. Six years ago, I went to the flats. It was dead quiet. Now in the flats in Cleveland, there's about 10 nightclubs, queues of people outside. We went into the club. It was country western music. They chuck us on a table with a bottle. Go Browns. Anyway, we have a great night. We'll leave the club. As I'm leaving, Joe Thomas, I don't even recognise who he is, comes and gives me a cuddle and goes, let's do a Guinness challenge. I'm like, oh, hi, Joe. And I went to speak to his wife. I said, oh, I believe you lived in England for a bit. And she was like speaking to me. She goes, I'm a little bit British in my eyes. She was fucking seven foot tall herself. You know, so you've got Joe Thomas and his wife are both seven foot tall. And Joe Thomas keeps on like elbowing me going, Guinness challenge, Guinness challenge. And I'm like, all right, chill out, Joe. And he goes, I went to the bar. They've got, they got no Guinness. Jaeger bombs. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I go and get Jaeger bombs. I, I buy six Jaeger bombs. And they're not cheap in the club. They're about $15. I turn up and he's on the table with some of his family. Six Jaeger bombs I turn up. Give one to his wife, one to Joe, one to Larry. Then I'm like, two left. It's really awkward. Like, there's more like Joe Thomas family wanting Jaeger bombs. Just like, sorry. And gave them to other people. Anyway, we necked them. Joe Thomas goes, film it, film it. I'm like, Joe, just chill out. And yeah, so anyway, um, filmed it, did it. Gave him some space, as I always do with these guys. And then he texts me in the morning. <laughs> Guinness challenge. And I'm like, chill out, Joe. So anyway, that's the story of how I met Joe Thomas. But everyone in my party, as we were leaving the club, didn't see Joe. I don't know why they didn't see him. So the whole group went to the next club. And then it's basically me, Larry, with Joe Thomas yeah, on his table, having a great time. But anyway, that's the story. Sorry if it went on too long. For the record, Joe Thomas's wife did play basketball in college, hence why she is also, I think, 6'5", 6'4", six, 6'5", six, six, yeah. But let's get the podcast back on track. So Jack. did you do a Guinness challenge with Joe? Uh, for the record, me and Joe still haven't done a Guinness challenge. I'm scared to look at my Twitter inbox to see if he's been messaging me this morning to say, get to the Irish pub now. You know, like, it's a... yeah, but anyway, we'll, we'll get him on the podcast and do one. But, you know, we do run a podcast, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Jets here. Uh, they yeah. could have really used Joe Thomas, maybe. I actually should have asked Joe Thomas if he could have maybe jumped in and played tackle because it doesn't seem like the tackles had a very good day uh, on Sunday. But, Jack, I know the PFF grades. Obviously, the PFF gods listen to the show. They released the grades right before we were recording. So why don't you – I know you just tweeted it, but why don't you run through – who are the highlight performers from the PFF side? Who are the guys that are going to be in uh, extra film this week? Who are the highs and the lows? Yeah, so we'll focus on the offense first. We'll then get to the other parts. But there was five guys that stood out, and all five had great games. So we, I'll just start from first down. We've got Amari Cooper, Jacoby Brissett, Nick Chubb, Harrison Bryant, Joel Batonio. Those five amazing games, um, all 82 or higher. Um, then we've got everyone else that... There's sort of three dudes that are okay in Hunt, Pochich, and Teller. But the only one that was really poop was Jesse James. But it's a handful of snaps. Who really cares in the grand scheme of it? But I thought the offense was really, really good, especially the passing offense. It was incredible how well they did. Just on first down, just take that as a small sample. We had eight first downs where we passed. And... Five of those went straight for a first down. We're not even talking move the six. We just instantly move the sticks to a touchdown. And it really functioned well. I thought Jacoby Brissett had a great game. Um, yeah, obviously there's an interception at the end, which, yeah, you should have done better with. But in the grand scheme of it, you can't ask your offense to do much more. If you're scoring that many points, you should easily be coming home with a W. So overall, really, really happy with the offensive performance. Um Hey, I'm I'm sat here and I'm 
I almost want to give him nine. I offensively, I have no qualms. I the only thing that would bring it down, I thought some of the offensive line play. It's it showed that we're clearly stronger in the interior. I know Teller graded a little lower. I I wonder how much of that sometimes comes from like the penalties, which we talked a little bit in the pre-show. I don't understand how that's a penalty. Offensive linemen are told to grasp their arms to the inside, even though they can hook a guy's arm from the outside. As long as you keep your arms inside, as you're plowing someone to the ground, that's generally not a penalty. But regardless, efficiency, I think, speaks to the to the offense because we're set 22 of 27, 229 yards with a touchdown and a pick. The Browns rushed for 184 yards as a team. And, I mean, Cooper, 10 targets, nine catches. Bryant, four targets, three catches. Njoku, five targets, three catches. Chubb, 3-3. Three, three. Hunt, 2-2. Two, two. Bell, 1-1. One, one. Felton, 1-1. One, one. So not only was there to a multitude of different receivers, there was efficiency. It wasn't one of those Odell games where you had 12 targets and four catches. I mean, David Njoku was the only one who had a 60% catch rate. Everybody else's was higher based on the fact of, you know, how many targets they got. Cooper led the way. I thought this was his best game. Obviously, he's only played two games for the Browns, but I think he showed you what he can do. Whether it was Sauce Gardner, whether it was whoever they tried to put on him, Cooper was just shaking and baking all day long. And this is what we said the Browns are going to have to do. Brissett knows I have a guy I can rely on who's going to be open. He looks, maybe Cooper's covered. He can check it down to Harrison Bryant. So when you have the running game going like that, it really opens things up in the pass game which is what they did. I mean, there was, they were running the ball hard. I know that you really focused on the run in the first half of the first quarter. And then they came back to it in the fourth quarter where I think they chalked up a good amount of their yards. But at that point there, you had beaten them down so much and you were so efficient in the passing game. The jets had to respect the run. So overall from an offense. Yeah. I mean, I would say an eight only because you didn't, you didn't get the W you didn't have enough. You had the little hiccup and you had a little bit of struggle from the, from the edge, from the edges uh, in terms of the offensive tackles. But I think eight or nine, I think you're definitely talking about an above, an above average performance from the offense. Paul, what it look like in uh, in person. Yeah, just on that. I, th- I think eight's fair because thinking back the run game didn't work in the first half. It wasn't as efficient as it had to be. We weren't getting decent enough averages and regularly moving the chain. So um, no, on second thought, I think that's a fair point. The only thing that worked first half was the passing game. Paul? Yeah, um, I was going to argue with a nine to an eight. Um, There's one thing, look, in the last two minutes, there's so much madness that went wrong for the Browns. Um, Just from an offense point of view, when we gave the interception to lose the game officially, there was still a chance we could have kicked to win the game. So um, it was an interception against... Um, our quarterback so yeah definitely shouldn't be a nine um, yeah th- I thought I know I'm dreaming but I thought if we'd have got that catch we could have made the kick to, to win the game so um, offense for that microsecond in my eyes let us down so it's a six or an eight I'll go with the majority an eight yeah, no, I, I think it's unfortunately a- for direct tv I didn't even see the interception my, my stream was cutting in and out. I got to see one every six plays. So I had to listen to Zagura and uh, Donovan on the broadcast. But what happened on the play? I, I, have, I have yet to even see it at this point. So um, Cooper looks okay, but there's another guy, I think a safety that slides in there, um, makes the interception. If Jacoby, because they only ran two or three, um, so he had time in the pocket, but then also in his head, he's thinking, hey, I, I can't take too much time there's 12 seconds and this is over. So if it's a drop, then the game's done because. So he was thrown into eight and nine man secondaries. So yeah, it was a deep secondary, but if he'd have waited one more second, DPJ was coming on the crosser and he would have had the perfect clear throw, but it was that in his head. He's thinking, I've got to throw this ball because if he doesn't throw the ball, it's, it's either a catch or it's not. Whereas that was the moment where they could have gone for a little and then, taken the timeout with one second left so I think it was a really difficult one but I think Paul's right if they make that we're going out there and we're sending the field goal to go hey I think it'd have been 58 roughly again um probably even less than that actually um probably low 50s they were they were at the 40 I think they were at the 46 when the interception happened on their own side so realistically at that point you're talking about a 54 61 talking about 71 yard field goal from that point there 
So however many yards they would have gained on that play off seven. Oh, it, was, it was a decent 15 yards the ball was moving. So. Then there you go. Yeah, so you're talking probably 56, 55. Yeah, look, and don't get me wrong. I'm glad we made the play because um, that was the play that we could have potentially won the game. So it was, a, it was the right play to make. But yeah, anyway. Um, Jack, anything else you want to say on the offence? No, I think that's it. Um, it's one where Yamari Cooper and Brissett, if, if they take that performance and we see that through the first 11 weeks, then playoffs, however frustrating that one game was, there's nothing wrong with this offensive side of the ball that we can't be sat here talking about playoff contention at the end of the year. Are they going to play to this fantastic level till the end of the season? No. Um, that's the NFL. It's not quite as consistent, but this was a really, really solid performance. Um, Amari Cooper doing exactly what we wanted him to do and delivering like a $20 million player. Um, Jacoby Brissett playing above his expectation. Um, it's one that I, I just want to see plenty of pass in moving forward because passing was more efficient than um, uh, running. And there's no reason to choose the inefficient one because it, it eventually turns up in the fourth quarter. If the passing game wouldn't have carried us through the first three quarters, we wouldn't have even been in contention in the fourth quarter for the run game to finally wake up. Defence. Here we go. So to jump on and look at some PFF grades, um, there was three star players, um, JOK, Anthony Walker and Clowney. And then we've got a, a solid three behind them with Taki Taki, Garrett, and Emerson. Um, if we then look at the bottom end of the pile, it is grim. Denzel Ward had a, a, the worst game I think he's ever had as a pro. I haven't looked at his other PFF grades, but I can't remember anything I've seen as bad from him. There's AJ Green, which is the fake punt and one other snap in there. So almost push that to one side. Then you're looking at Jordan Elliott, Winovich, Delpit. Um, yeah, it was a... It was a real mess. The secondary was a disaster um, with Emerson, the only one coming out with a little bit of credibility. And he even had that touchdown where he didn't get as close as he should. So, yeah, they cost the game. Um, we can talk about play calling and some efficient stuff where the Kareem Hunt could have stayed in twice um, and then it's kneeling down rather than Chubb running in for the end of game touchdown. But if they get the defense right you should never lose a game when you're uh, 13 points up and one minute 22 or something left um you've got to do better so i i think you sat there and you're asking maybe two or three i think you've still got to give some credit um hey first half we we got a turnover we got stuff there it wasn't the worst of the worst where it was just slice and dice but it, it sucks and it hurts I can confirm it was the third lowest graded game of Denzel Ward's career. The lowest grade he had 2019 week one against the Titans. Remember, we had a lot of expectations for that one. They blew us out. He came in, had 58 snaps, 29.9. And then later on in that season against the Steelers, 55 snaps and a 31.5. So this was his third lowest graded game as a Brown and lowest graded game since 2019. And the defense is the one that everybody's going to talk about because the mistakes that the defense is making are big touchdown causing mistakes, whether it was Robbie Anderson getting behind the secondary, whether it's Corey Davis getting behind the secondary, whether it's letting Brees Hall waltz into the flat, which I mean, to be fair, the Browns have done that with their running backs. Everyone's telling everybody, Oh, it's not that big of an issue. This can be an easy fix. Well, Jack, let's look at this from each level and we'll talk about each level of the defense because a lot of the things that we've talked about going into the draft, going into training camp, OTAs, preseason, it's the same issues. Let's start on the D-line. We knew we had Garrett. We knew we had Clowney. You had advocated for uh, the one Ajaboogi guy or whatever his name was signed somewhere else as an edge three. I, well, I, I wanted Jerry Hughes, who was second graded defensive player in the NFL last week. From um, the retirement home? Ingram. That was the pair. Give me that pair. And my fourth was Alex Wright. And it didn't happen. And I, I think 
I think they got three touchdowns between them in week one or something insane. It, it's definitely a, it's a cliff, right? So you have Garrett and Clowney. Clowney goes out. Listen, Alex Wright, my brother, he's a rookie. He was a fourth, fourth round pick, third round pick. Yeah, third round pick. He's been yeah. okay. Yeah, like you can't expect him to come in and wreck a game. He's not a first round pick. You know, I see my guy Coral Loftus doing some stuff, but that's beside the point. You have no depth. Look, I understand Winovich plays to the fans, surveys numbers, cuts his hair, all this stuff. He's not doing anything on the field. Like I, I, Mac Wilson's at least tipping the ball for the Patriots and getting interceptions. Belichick's giving him praise in press conference saying no other guy in the league can make this play. But regardless, they have no secondary pass rush. So if Garrett and Clowney aren't on the field, there's no pass rush. The Ravens beat the hell out of Joe Flacco's jets last week. We had two sacks, one by Garrett, one by Clowney. That's it. That's it. You're not pressuring the quarterback. And if Joe Flacco, listen, say what you want about old ass Joe Flacco, that pellet. I didn't see the Garrett Wilson touchdown. I saw that one. The second one, that was a rope into cover two, hit on the post. Yeah. There's some technical stuff on the secondary, but sometimes you just have to say that's a super bowl winning quarterback. And he made a super bowl like winning quarterback throw. That was a BB. It was on, it was on time and it was on his numbers. You have to move his old ass off that spot. And after Clowney went out, the secondary pass rush was non-existent. And we've said it. We don't want Miles Garrett playing 80% of the snaps, 60% max. When he's out there, he's effective. But that tells you that 40% of the other snaps, the quarterback has all day long to pick you apart. And just on the, um, the edge stuff, it was, uh, I partially forgot where I was going, but you saw, oh, I remember now, there was l- short drives against the Panthers. It was very much, hey, there was not more, there weren't many times I remember where there was more than six snaps in an entire drive, whether it was a punt or they got a TD. Whereas we flipped to this game and there were longer drives. And when they're longer drives, your rotation is so much more important. You cannot have Miles and Clowney out there all the time. And can you believe what Denzel Ward has just come out with? What what planet is he on? I just saw the same thing. John Costco. <laughs> there, everybody wants to know what time we're recording. John Costco tweeted last night, or yeah, last night. Denzel Ward gave up over 100 yards in a game for the first time in his career, NFL and NCAA. Denzel's response, LOL. I was only targeted one time yesterday. A lot of fake news out there. People don't know what they don't know. And again. He may be right. I don't know how the Browns calculate those stats or what the play calls are. We That's the thing. We'll get into this later when we talk about the secondary, but we'll stick to the D-line. We're going to get to that. But, yeah, so second level, um, you did a good job. I'll let you continue. Too well, well, first of all, we'll talk about the edge. Defensive oh. tackles, you're exactly what we thought you were. Hey, Taven Bryant has been solid. Well, he's the only one, and he's the one they didn't play in preseason because they knew this is what we're going to get out of him. The rest, lots of people doubted Taven Bryan when we signed him. I had people saying, oh, he's just going to be a rotation piece. He was brought in to do a job, and he is doing that job. And that is all you can ask for him. He is not ever going to be Aaron Donald, but he is also not going to be any of the Maliks last year and the absolute... Jordan Elliott. (laughs) Jordan Elliott. He will just give you okay, and that is all you need. If he is going to go out there every week and give me a 6 out of 10... I am over the moon. That is exactly what the Browns should be doing with their defensive tackles. We're not chasing and throwing a bag trying to chase a nine out of ten. We, we paid him three million, four million dollars, three with incentives to get to yeah. four. I think. So if he grades with even a shade of green, even if it's the slightest shade of green, you're getting your money's worth. Yeah, he's come but out. The rest of the D tackles, one needs an alarm clock. You know, the other one. I don't even know what Jordan Elliott does after I see 96 out there. I feel like he's running to the sidelines during the play. I don't even know what he's doing. Neither does he. <laughs> That's harsh, but still it, it is. It's a, we, we knew, we knew, we knew that the problem was this team, Jack, how many, Paul, how many times they tell us this team is built to protect the leads. 
there's going to be no more Tennessee Titans comebacks or Dallas Cowboys comebacks. We've got pass rushing. We've got secondary. This team is built to protect leads. Are they? I would say no. We don't have pass rush, and our secondary can't talk. One thing I want to mention, people say we haven't got the players for our secondary. I disagree. I think we've got talent in our secondary. Um, It just doesn't seem to be working. So uh, hopefully we can fix it before the Steelers on Thursday and move on. Uh, Jack, what was your number out out of 10? I think three. There was... They've forced what one turnover, so yeah, I don't think I sack. can. I don't think I can completely destroy them. Um, and as well, that first TD in the game, it's not really on the defense; it's on special teams. So, I I, I think three for me is fair enough. If we're grading levels, we can do this because I want to. We're going to skip over linebackers because I thought the linebackers right. played great. JOK and Anthony Walker, two linebackers. I think you guys did fantastic. A plus effort out of you. Probably the only reason the defense can get a three is because of you two guys. Um, What's that? I think you keep rolling. Anyways, we'll get Paul back in. The defense, in terms of the second level there at the linebackers, I think are playing exactly to what they want. Now, we talk about the secondary. We were talking about it a little bit ago. Paul, anybody who's saying the Browns don't have the talent in the secondary, I have no idea what you're talking about. They have the most capital the most everything invest in the secondary. We've got two first round corners. We've got a $30 million safety. We've got a second round pick of a safety. We made a trade to get the third safety. And we got AJ Green, the highest paid undrafted guy of his time coming out. We invested a third round pick in Martin Emerson. They have invested every piece of asset they possibly can allocate to one group to the secondary. And now we're being told that these guys can't read hand signals. They can't look at Anthony Walker, who is wearing the green dot. We'll get into that. But he makes a hand motion that tells them something. Do we know what it is? Nope. After the game, we can't figure out what covers are in. We got professional football players. It's going, I don't know if they're supposed to be in cover three or cover two based on what we're doing. We, we don't know. And we have all these assets. Denzel Ward, top five pick. Greg Newsom, top 28 pick, which is 26, 27, whatever he was. Grand Delpa, top 45 pick. How, how do these guys not pick up? I could run a, T, a peewee baseball team right now, and I could give bunt signals, stealing signals, all with my hands. If I touch my belt, it's this. They're that basic. And yet we have professional multimillion-dollar athletes who can't figure out a hand signal. And at the end of the day, we can kill Grant Delpit. We, maybe he was supposed to be deep. Maybe it was Denzel Ward. It doesn't matter. Their job is to know what they're supposed to do, not ours. Our job isn't supposed to know if he's covering deep. That's between Denzel Ward and Grant Delpit. Last week, that's between Greg Newsom and Grant Delpit. How, Jack, how is this happening? It's, there's one of two things. It's either someone is out there on the field and they are completely misunderstanding what they're being told or forgetting and they're giving the call and they're just doing the wrong thing. Or there is another group where it seems there's more than one player where there's issues of not getting the right play call. And that, they, that for me, if the players aren't getting the right call, that goes to the coaching staff. Because if the coaching staff are sending it out through Jordan Phillips, through Anthony Walker, depending on who's on the field, then they need to have that conversation and go, this isn't working. We need to do something different. Is it giving the green dot back to John Johnson? Who knows what that is? Because it's impossible for us to really know on the outside. But if that message isn't getting to the players and the players aren't executing the plan as Joe Woods sees it, Joe Woods needs to find out what that answer is and get on with it. It's okay going, hey, I've sent the play call out there. The players should do better. He hasn't come out and said that. But that's not a position that's good enough if the message isn't getting out there. You are the guy in charge of that defence. There is no reason why all 11 players shouldn't be fully aware of what is going down. I'd be curious, and I don't think anybody's going to ask this because it's a little bit of a second-level questions, and I can't expect that from most people. I would like to know, does each position coach have, like, for example, if Woods calls cover three man under, right? Let's just So he goes out to cover three man under, which they probably have a code word out of base for. Do the defensive linemen look at a coach? Do they all look at the same guy? Or do they all look at their respective coaches, right? Is Jason Tarver the linebacker coach? Does Woods communicate with 
Walker and Jacob Phillips. So who's the communicator? And does each level have a point? Because if you're telling me, and I'm going off what Tyvis Powell said in his uh, space afterwards, was Denzel Ward looked like he was in cover two. The rest of the guys looked like they were in cover three. Well, what did who was Ward looking at? Because I have a funny, I have a hard time believing that Denzel Ward looked at Anthony Walker and saw a fist pump and said, oh, that's cover two. And 10 other guys said, oh, that's cover three. Like, I don't know if they're looking at a position coach, but to your point, you're right. It all rolls up to the tip of the spear, which is Joe Woods. Now, I will say this in defense of Joe Woods because everybody wants his head on a Ned Stark stake right now. I don't see egregious play calls on the defense. I see lack of execution, right? Joe Woods isn't going to be able to manufacture pass rush with four guys. He's not. So now you're saying, all right, well, am I going to blitz more? So we might see that against the Steelers. But in the same sense, you knew that if you blitz Joe Flacco, he is a veteran quarterback and he can get the ball out and he has a good arm. So maybe their theory was I'm going to rush four, drop seven. And we're going to we're going to keep it underneath. And then you have a miscommunication touchdown. I just I don't see any ludicrous cover zero blitzes. I don't see any ludicrous things where I'm like, what is he doing? Yeah, maybe you could say he needs to bring more pressure and come up with maybe some amoeba type pressures that like, you know, we're blitzing a backside backer. But at the end of the day, like the linebackers seem to be doing their jobs. So it's hard to say. We should be doing something different if it's only one level of the defense that's struggling the most. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on Joe Woods overall? Well, the thing is, people are saying, hey, just sack Joe Woods, sack Prefer, sack Coward. Um, and the issue is, well, what, what, do you, <laughs> what do you want to happen by Thursday? Because you, you don't just go out and hire a new DC and it's like, hey, let's roll with this. You're getting people that are obviously working with Joe Woods currently to execute this stuff. So um, I think it's one where they need to come together and go, right, this isn't working. What do we do to fix it? Is it giving John Johnson the green dot and going, hey, he's going to play 100% of snaps. So none of this silly Walker versus Phillips stuff depends who's out there. You can listen to them this time. Um, I think it's having that game plan and going, right, everything's going through John Johnson. John Johnson is going to be out here for every snap. Turn to him and see what's going on. Um, Or it's the hand signal, because I think that's a perfectly good point of going, hey, Joe Woods makes the call. It goes to all the position coaches. They look at their one position coach and he's giving them the call that relates to them because there's going to be calls, parts of the call, hey, the D-line don't really care what it is. Their, their job is, hey, what, what do you need us to do? Are we blocking this? Are we doing that? Um, and it's just let it go and um, sort that out. And Stefanski needs to go and meet with Woods, meet with the position coaches, meet with the players and go, what is not working? Because they have to get to the bottom of that. The issue isn't, hey, we need better play calls. The issue is we're not executing the play calls that we've got. So it's more of an internal bash everyone's heads together. And hopefully it was this bad that everything gets fixed and ironed out. And sometimes it needs to be a a bottom out and disaster for everyone to sit there, take a long, hard look in the mirror and go, yeah, I need to do better with this. This needs to be done better. Um, And hopefully that'll bounce down. But the issue is, to make the playoffs, you need 10 wins. And that should have been win two on the way to 10. And instead, it's one and one. And people are saying, hey, playoffs, why are you even looking at that? Well, the offense was good enough. The offense plays like that for the rest of the season. Jacoby Brissett could get the Browns to the playoffs without Watson even coming back. So the defense, it was number one coverage grade for PFF last year. And it was nothing short of an embarrassment this week. Yeah. And at the end of the day, now you're going to have to go out and win a game you're not supposed to win. So you're going to have to make that win up somewhere else. And as, if I'm taking everything from Richard Sherman online and all these people that want to tell you about secondary, listen, yes, they know more about football in terms of that. I think 32 different teams run different versions of defensive coverages. So I think if you see a lot of stuff out there with people saying, oh, well, this is what we did, or this is what we did. That's great. But at the end of the day, the one thing in common they're all saying is allegedly, this is not a hard fix. So, Let's see if you have to dumb it down where we hold giant colored cards on the sidelines that pink means this. And I know there's a lot of talk out there about, well, the Browns run the same defense. Well, yeah, that's a defense. It's called base, right? You run a base defense and then you adapt it to their personnel. You say, okay, we're going to run our four, three. Well, we're going to run dime. So four, two, five. Well, you got him, you got him, you got him, you got him. 
So what the Browns do is the Browns basically just use a zone version to get to man. So they let the, t- the guys run into a zone. And then once they're in zone, then they man up. So that's just kind of the, the base of the Browns defense. Well, that's going to be a similar call at all of them. It's the modifications where, okay, if this guy runs a dig, it's X. If this guy runs a post, it's Y. So you have to be able to look and see what's going on. And I think maybe that's a bigger issue. So let's hope, because you're right, Jack, you ain't firing anybody. You don't just fire D coordinator, remember. A D coordinator is in charge of the whole defensive staff. So if Woods goes, remember, the, D, the, the secondary coach, the linebacker coach, the, the defensive uh, line coach, the run game guy that's also different, those guys all are products of Joe Woods. So if he's gone, then all those guys are like, well, what do we do now? So, yes. Now, specials, we'll get into that in a second. But, yes, I would think that you can't go hammering out a defensive staff this early in the season because, one, and the other thing that has to stop, John Johnson, the media, stop. That, that is internal locker room stuff. Don't talk about it communicating. Some guys getting, so we're sending, we're receiving. No, 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 no. There's no finger pointing. And we'll get to you, Miles Garrett, and the fans, too. We'll get that here coming up. And that's why this is going to be a little bit longer of a version of podcast. But, Paul, I think your connection's back. Defensively, what was the stadium like when the defense kind of – do you think all those boos were associated with the defense? I don't think it was, mate. I think um, in my head, there was – we won the game. In my head, we won the game. And – I, I always talk openly on this podcast. I did a video saying we've officially won two games now. Bring on the Steelers, three and zero. I even made that video when we got that Chubb touchdown. Um, I did say to Chris, big shout out to Chris, who got me the Chris Caffrey, saw me out the ticket for the game. Uh, I did say to him, there's one thing I don't understand is why are we bringing the ball down in the field and going out? Why don't we just keep stopping the clock and win the game? I, I, that was one thing that got my head you know if I was a manager of a football match Mourinho and I said to someone like just just your one job is just to get the ball down in field then do that and then we win the game surely as a manager I know that but anyway I'm going a bit too off 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 topic but yeah I I thought the um, crowd was very nervous a lot of the crowd left by this point um, I was even watching it outside on a TV, waiting to go to the tunnel to see the reaction of the Cleveland Browns players winning. So I was in the corridor watching the game, hearing the boos from the uh, from the field, and yeah, uh, I understand why they're booing. I respect why they're booing. I don't believe in booing your team, but I get some fans why they booed. Jack, are you a booer? I would have been booing after that. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't. So I'm not a booer during the game. Once you get to the full full time whistle, let your feelings know because those players need to know that that wasn't good enough. And the fact that Miles Garrett did an interview afterwards and says, "Well, why why are they booing?" It's like, hey, you got getting paid 19 million a year. You're the leader of this defense, and you've stood there, been aware of what happened in a, a 82 second spell, and you should be booing at your own teammates. Um, you should be going into that dressing room and giving people an absolute dressing down because that's not acceptable. It's not the fans' fault. The fans have given you all this support and they've watched you bottle it. You cannot be paid 19 million, the leader of the entire defense, and go, that was acceptable. Because he obviously feels that must have been acceptable, that level of performance. Otherwise, you are not criticizing people for booing. Those boos were 1,250% earned. You're right. During a game, the whole situation with Detroit last year and that shin kicking contest, we won. After the game, I think sometimes players forget, okay? You are paid to play that game. Fans pay to watch you. They divest time energy effort they spent now i realize that's all by choice nobody forces you to be a fan but fans use sports as their therapy they use it as a way to to bond with their fellow city people i mean how many friendships have people made from this stuff so it's it's a social gathering it's connective tissue right and when something bad happens miles 
they're not booing Miles Garrett. They're not booing Cade York. They're not booing Nick Chubb. They are booing the Browns, the representation of the city, the representation of our team. Boos are not personal. Now, in some cases, people will individually get booed. I believe we had a quarterback here before that had an ability to get people to do that. But those boos were collectively for a team because the team let those fans down. No fan is entitled to anything, but when you let them down like you did and there was failures, we can go back on all levels of the team. It's a team loss. You have to let fans express their things. And you're right, Jack. Miles should have went in there and been like, I agree with him. I was booing. I was pissed. I didn't make a play. Denzel didn't get a pick. He should have been pissed. Miles, I didn't get a sack. JOK, they should have all been so angry. They should have been one of the fans, not against the fans. And you don't get out there and say, well, some guys are sending messages and others aren't receiving it. No, 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 no. There's no blaming and shaming. That's the locker room. That's that close the door. That stays in there on the outside. We're one of you. We represent you. And I think that's where they failed. I mean, Paul, you're good with kind of the, the, the feelings and the vibes and stuff like that. How were, what was the vibe like leaving that stadium? Here's a statement. I've never seen so many sad faces leaving that stadium. And I've been to a lot of losses. I think the fact of everyone thought we we're going to win the game, 2-0. I feel that everyone thought they won the game. They, everyone thought they 100% won the game two minutes ago. And then being told you've lost the game caused people's faces to be very, very sad. What I liked was there was not a lot of aggression, like smashing things up that may have happened in soccer, but everyone was just sad. And um, yeah, it was not nice to see, to be honest. There you go. Specials. You want to, you want to cover what, uh, what was our number for the def- defense? Three. Frank, I, I think three. You gave up 30 points to Joe Flacco and the Jets. You got a couple highlight plays. You have a player at each level that seems to be performing really well. Now you just got to find one in the secondary. Specials. Right, great. Um, we got a punt return for more than a yard. Yeah, we had a kickoff turn out the end zone. I think we got to the 39 yard line. It was uh, the biggest return in the Mike Prefer era. Um, Does that skew the stats? No, they're still bad. <laughs> they, they did another one that went to the 20 and lost five of those 14. So uh, <laughs> it didn't take long to balance out. Um, I, I think you've got to look, obviously, hey, there was the fake punt. Um, and if we go back to last week, seeing Jake Burns point out on his podcast, only once last week did they have a wide receiver out there on pump. Um, coverage um and the ravens then went and double teamed him and that stopped them doing probably what they looked to do against the browns and that should have mike prefer should have been able to watch the tape and go that's weird they've sent a wide receiver out there and they didn't do it any other time they punted that that sort of stuff is exactly why coaches are paid to watch tape and they failed to see that and i'm not saying they should have known that it was definitely going to be a pass and go there but that sort of stuff should stand out and you should go, right, be aware of that, AJ Green. This is something that we've spotted on the tape and you need to be ready for. And if it's the case that, hey, they're ready for it and it, it was a really good pass, you get beat. But there is no reason AJ Green shouldn't be aware that this guy's probably going to be out here for a pass um, because why else are they going to have a wide receiver out there on that position when they don't otherwise? So... I, I think that's a big question. Obviously, Cade York missing that extra point was massive um, because, hey, either they're going for two there or it goes to overtime. So there is a fair amount of blame that rests on his shoulders um, because extra points, you've got to convert them. Um, so, no, I, I, I think we're sat here talking about a two. Um, I mean, we didn't really do much to add points in the positive. I think the other thing you left out... The onside kick. Yeah. Listen, and 
obviously I, w- I actually got to get like a delayed replay of that through my Sunday ticket delayed streaming. But Zagura and Donovan are saying that the Browns had put Cooper on Bell on one side. So I think Zagura even said in the moment, I bet the Browns want him to kick it to that side because he mentioned the players on the other side and it was like Donovan Peoples Jones, somebody else. And so the kick, I think that obviously they instinctively knew it could go either direction. Baldinger put out something today on it. If you look, so the way that you have to line up in the NFL, you can't overload one side. So if you look, you have the punter, I believe his last name was man. And then you have a guy, Justin Hardy, who's ironically enough, a product of Glenville out of Cleveland lined up right on the hash next to him. And then you have four guys. Well, the Browns have four guys as well. Well, when the ball was kicked, Hardy, who was next to him, was the fifth guy. He had a dead sprint into the pile. So the Browns had four players. The Jets now had five. Anthony Schwartz was the guy that was in the center that would have had to have run over. And you see at the end of during the recovery, you'll see him come late into the play when Hardy had already had it. So when the all 22s come out, you're going to notice that Schwartz was late getting to the pile and Hardy got ahead of him. So when, and by the way, you mentioned about JOK. So JOK's job in that case is to screen for Cooper. So his job is to put the block. Uh, Cooper doesn't attack the ball because I think he was sitting back because it was actually a pretty hard hit ball. So Cooper's sitting back waiting for the ball to come to him, either going to let it go out of bounds or catch it. JOK's job is to give him a screen. It's actually quite an impressive play by the Jets player to dive goalkeeper style in front of Cooper to just knock the ball so he doesn't catch it with his arm. Now a scrum ensues. Well, if Cooper's negated by the one guy, the Jets now have four guys and the Browns have three. The odds aren't in the favor. Jets ball. And the guy comes late to the party. So Hardy is the one who recovered the fump, recovered the loose ball, and he was the one closest to the kicker. So if you watch the all-22s on that, you're going to see it's probably going to come down to an execution thing on that one because it just looked like the Jets guy did his job, but the Browns should have had enough guys rallying to, to pick it up. They didn't. Jets ball. So I don't see the return game was the, the punning Borquez. He was the highlight. That guy, Bojo or Bojo bombs, whatever it is. I mean, that guy has a leg on him. So I have no problem with his punting. He had a couple down inside 10. Nice job, Corey. You can you, you're going to be sitting in the, the captain's chair for the specials meeting this week. Everybody else, your ass is mine because prefer you better get your shit together because unlike Joe Woods, there's only you and another guy. That's two of you. We can replace you and your specials the last few years. Not been special. Not you got your kicker. You got your punter. We try to get your return guy. That one didn't work out so well, but all that blocking, all the return shit, the onside that's on coaching preparation. Anthony Schwartz. If what is your job, Anthony Schwartz? Go here. Schwartz didn't know that's coaching. I, I, I won't listen. I'll be blaming Anthony Schwartz for anything I can. That's coaching. He was not prepared. That team was not prepared on special teams properly to recover that kick. And on the to your point, Jack, on the fake punt, lack of preparation. Those are coaching mistakes. Yeah, it's a weird one because on the main line, there's only nine guys. I don't know whether the other two are slightly deeper. I haven't watched the All-22. Um, so I don't know if there's a rule that two players have to be certain depth or something because I know they're always playing around with the rules. But it's like Joe Kay, and it's, it's schematic. Jake told me it's, it's fairly actually quite common, but Joe Kay just bursts forward to block, whereas I would much rather have him there because Amari Cooper has to slide down to try and cover that where he's not naturally at a position where you're coming forward to the ball, you're having to sort of loop and then try do something. So much better to have him there. The ball's coming at him and I would keep everyone at the 10. I don't, I'm not interested in going over because if they hit you before you've got the ball, then it's a flag. So I, I don't think you need to go out and block because the refs are there to do that. And if you get absolutely smashed before the ball's arrived at the 10, happy days. It's a flag, nothing done, and Cleveland win. So, I, But as hard as that ball was kicked, it got 10 yards quick. And I think if JOK attacks it, I think he'd have been at the point where if it went off him and he didn't field it, that ball's going backwards and the Jets are 100% recovering. So I think the point there is, is his job is to wall the 10 
to your point, you can't get touched beforehand. So his job is to wall the 10 yards and then your receivers are in the back. That's why you had Bell and Cooper in the back line. But there's two, three dudes coming at him. So it's not like he can stop everyone. Um, it just That's why Cooper is to attack the ball and field it behind him. Every other team has no problem executing this. We were not prepared. And even if the ball is loose, how many times do you see the initial guy that's on the hands team bobble the ball, it goes off him, and then another guy just comes in and picks it up because the numbers are in your favor because they're running in and you're already there. They're kicking it to you. It, it's, it's, it's a coaching. It's a, it's a coaching and preparation thing. It's 100% what it is. But the best part is here we are on Monday. Not a victory Monday, as you heard from Paul's intro. Not a happy Monday. We've got a game. It, this Thursday night through Friday. I'm, I'm guaranteeing oh. I'm not worried about them. They are absolute atrocious on offense. Um, time to spank the biscuit um, is a joke. I will say this. I had the privilege of watching the Browns game on my smaller apparatus. And then the, uh, well, I didn't really watch it. I had it listening because direct TV, you're getting an email complaint from me. I had the Steelers and the Patriots on the other screen. Jack, that is tough to watch. That, that, that is tough to watch. I would take JOK, and I would say that's number 22. His name is Najee Harris. You two, you're never leaving him. He's all they got. Deontay Johnson, I, yeah, he's okay. But at the end of the day, that offense is no more scary than a bear, you know, than a, than a tickling bear, a, a cuddly bear. They're just, there's no, there's no identity on that offense. There's no scheme. Now, in saying that, they're going to go out and drop 42 on the Browns. <sighs> I'd love to say it, Jack. I'd love to say that I'm that confident and they should win. They're going to be favored. I, I would think. But the question is, is do you think that Stefanski, because he's kind of floated. We haven't, we haven't said his name all that much. And I want to get Paul's take on this as he's doing jumping Jackson's liver. I think Joe Thomas is sending him messages about the Guinness challenge. Stefanski, you're Stefanski. You walk into the building. This question's for both of you. Paul, we're going to start with you. You're Kevin Stefanski and you walk into the building today. What's your elevator speech? What's your message right now to get that team ready for Thursday? We're going to sit down for one hour and we're going to sit down for one hour, go through everything that went wrong tomorrow. We're fixing it. We're beating the Steelers. Jack? Uh, insert lots of swear words about how bad it was, but go own it and move on and it's it's sitting down and going what went wrong and it, it will involve players calling out other players and i would be all for that to get it all out because what you don't want is lingering and then players being unhappy with other players get that out um and do it almost as an offense defense because you don't need it all in the same room where the offense is going out but i would break it down and go look what went wrong here and because if John Johnson's turning around and going, we're not getting the play calls or something, that needs to be fixed. And Stefanski needs to be in that defensive meeting. And if Joe Woods is error or whoever is the error, that needs to be called out and go, this stops now, go out. And even if it's just practicing the play call and just go for it, so they all know exactly how it's going to work because it's a communication error. It's not someone needs to play better that is the frustrating bit that it's like, hey, if, if we're sat here and it's Andrew Sandejo needs to play better because he's not a great, an elite level footballer, that's an easy thing to accept. When you're going, these guys are multimillionaires and cannot speak to each other and convey a simple message, we have a serious problem. Yeah, and to your point, Jack, John Johnson better be saying that in the secondary room with the door closed. So when he's sitting there with all nine of his guys, 10 of his guys, if he said to the media, well, some, uh, well, some are communicating, some aren't receiving. He needs to stand there and go, Denzel, how did you not get this call? AJ Green, because AJ Green and Martin Emerson, they seem to execute it fine. Emerson dropped. He took his deep third. So call. you're right. At work, I think everybody can say this. If I trust the guys I work with and I, re I respect them, you can criticize me if I make a mistake. So, somebody knows they made a mistake. We, we, we think we know we're not 100% sure. They know. They know. So whoever it is that made the mistake should have been the first one in the meeting room going, guys, I fucked up. I fucked up. That's on me. And Johnson then doesn't have to say it. and goes, I'll, I'll get better. I'll fix the problem. 
coach, this is why I think I maybe didn't see it. I saw his right hand go up. It was the left hand where we're fucking changing that signal. Right. So it's something as simple as that. But you're right. Close the doors of the meeting rooms. Stefanski, Paul, that's a great speech. We're fixing it. One hour. We're moving on. All those position groups, close the door to your meeting rooms. Berea has a hundred of them. You all got comfortable chairs and granola bars of plenty and Gatorades. Okay. Sit there and get comfortable because we're going to have some words. The offensive line, figure it out. The quarterback's room, figure it out. The running backs, figure it out. The secondary, figure it out. Close the doors and have honest conversations and don't get personal. No chippy. Oh, you go come at me. No, 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 no. You respect your teammates. And that's where coaching comes in. You have to have a culture because I guarantee you, Jack, if that was Belichick, he'd have that secondary out on that practice field and they'd be doing walkthroughs. He'd be giving them quizzes. He'd have all five of them stand out there. He'd be like deep post. He'd call them out. And if they moved wrong, they'd run a lap. He'd have some form of discipline and action. We talk about alarm clock Winfrey. Okay. He showed up. No problem. Late. There was a guy in the Patriots that faked a car accident. I'm sorry. Not he didn't fake it. He intentionally got into a car accident to justify to the coaches that he was late. He rear-ended somebody because he needed a legitimate excuse to be late to a Patriots practice. Our guy walks in. Oh, what happened? What? Why am I suspended? That's accountability. And there needs to be accountability in all those rooms because it ain't the fans fault. They were there. Paul, you saw, I saw the things in the Muni lot. Those that fan, that fan base was fired up. Paul's never seen more sad faces. I've got to say, it was probably the busiest I've seen Mooney lot ever. The sun was out. People were there very early. The city was hyped for this game. Well, I have a funny feeling they're going to come back Thursday, but if they let them down Thursday, I think ticket prices are going to. Um, I will say one thing though. There was hardly any jets in the stadium. It just gives pride that when the Browns fans travel so much, there's, 30 40 percent Browns fans in the stadium, and I only saw 20 30 Jet fans yesterday. On the broadcast, they just kept going back to the same single Jets fan. It looked like there was only one of them in the stadium. Um, but what, what are we grading it? Two specials, I would say two. Borquez, I give the rest other than Borquez a one. Borquez moves it up to a two. So specials is a two. Defense is a three. Offense is an eight. But they got some shit to figure out. They do. Because. Uh, Ian, I just want to focus one thing on you really quickly. The punt. I was on the the 50 line. I thought that punt changed the game. Uh, As a punt specialist, what do you think? Which, Which one? The one that went inside the 10? The one out of bounds? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So the one thing about Boriquez, his height is is up there. Because if you look, always judge hang time by how many guys get to the guy who's receiving the ball, right? So coaches care, and we talked about this with uh, Hammer a little bit as well. Coaches care about not necessarily how far you can kick it, how high you can kick it. Hell, the guy from uh, in the Dallas game hit the damn bottom of the scoreboard. Boriquez, when the guys are making the fair catches, the ball's going out of bounds. You'll see two or three returners down there. That's hard to do. You're talking five, five, one, five, two. So when they were pinned back, Jim Truss always said it, the, the punt is the most important play in football. At the end of the day, if you can flip the field and you can get the height he can, you should limit everything about a return game. Like a team shouldn't even be able to get much of a return. And when I look at it, he had three punts, two inside the 20, averaged 52 with a long of 63. That, I'm telling you, he, he's, he's making a difference in specials. So that alone, pinning them back, results in points. Because realistically, the defense goes out and makes a stop, to your point, Paul, on that punt inside the 10. The defense goes out and makes a stop. Their punter kicks it 45. You have the ball in your territory. And with your kicker the way you do with Cade York's leg, your punter is creating points for you. Put that stat on PFF, Jack. All right. Well, we'll do a prediction. I didn't even look at Steelers stuff, and I actually got to watch this. Let, let's, let's, do a, let's do a pre-Steelers show. Yeah, we're going to have to do another one. Paul, when do you fly back to the U.S.? I know you're going to the Steelers game, right? Yeah, so straight after the Steelers game, I'm going to go to the uh, airport and then fly to New York, lunch in New York then jump on a six o'clock flight back to London. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
All right. Well, I think that that's going to be a longer one. That's going to be a, a Chicago drive time podcast for everyone. Um, there's some promising stuff we saw. I mean, Jack read some of those PFFs right now. The Browns are like a scale. We got some players at the top, some players at the bottom. So let's hope those players stay at the top and we can get those. You know, I think Denzel Ward's a guy I have confidence. In. He's going to bounce back. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's going to learn from that. So I'd like to see our safety step up. I really would. I was sat there prepping for pre, uh, a uh, OBR post-game show, and it was after we'd scored the Nick Chubb TD, and I'm like, hey, yeah, it's been a disappointing game, even though we were going to win by 13, uh, well, 13, 14 points at that point, so I didn't, I didn't sit there and watch uh, KJ miss, but I was writing about how, hey, the first half changes, and this could be a much more comfortable victory, and it was actually... 13 yard of uh, 13 points is an understatement for what it should have been and then we end up the complete other end of the spectrum so it's one where it's a couple of moments of madness um, and it should have easily been 99.97 percent chance that is three out of 1000 three out of 1000 paul you witnessed history i got a couple texts one from a guy that came up to you in the muni lot game blouses when Nick Chubb ran in the end zone. And that's how I think the whole going out of bounds or down thing is nonsense. When you're a team that has the game in control, you don't think like that. I never thought live watching that. Oh, he should go down because you didn't fear losing. He ran into the end zone. It was on the, on the upper side of the two minute warning, punch it in. Hell yeah. It was a hell of a run. And I got him on my draft Kings, but that's beside the point. Punch it in, go for the jugular. How many times we play to lose. What would have happened if he goes down and we fumble a snap? You run the ball in the end zone. What the hell are you thinking? He's punch the ball in. 99.97. My frustration is more with Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt there because I know and he knew it. He, they pulled him out of the game. Did you see that? He didn't see the field after that. Stefanski laid him the first time, and then he sat down when he went up, pushed out of bounds at the second one, and he went, shit. If he stays in bounds twice, we'd never see Nick Chubb on. Yeah. Well, because the timeouts. Yeah, correct. It'd be three nils and the game is over. Correct. So it is squarely. It's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy to drop down where Kareem Hunt is, but if Kareem Hunt does that correctly, we are seeing three nil downs and no one can talk about a Nick Chubb TD because it wouldn't exist. So just so you guys all understand how that works, because people are going to start doing math wrong. Okay, if Kareem Hunt stays in bounds, the Jets have to use a timeout, meaning that the timeout they used to stop the clock at two minutes and five seconds would not have happened. It would have been used at 2.15, meaning the play that got them down to the Nick Chubb run would have ran the clock to the two-minute warning and it had been second down. So meaning you could kneel on second, kneel on third, and play out fourth or kick the field goal you would not have had to run the play. So the Chubb run would have happened on the other side of the two minute warning. That's why there's this big argument about time management, using the clock, using your timeouts on the front side of the two minute warning. Some coaches let it run to two and then do it. The reason they did that is because you had a player stupidly not go or go out of bounds. Now you get an extra timeout. The Browns had to use one on that onside kick, which could have helped them in the final drive. But that's beside the point. But yeah, that's why. Because Kareem Hunt going out of bounds would have required them, not required them to use a timeout that they later then used to stop the clock at 205. So that's why that was that is a true statement. Fact check, true. Anything you want to add, Paul? No, I just want to finish up just by saying I'm, on a, I'm having a lovely holiday. It's been uh, great. Mean loads of great Browns fans. And... Um, yeah, I want to take the podcast more seriously now just simply because the amount of people that come up and listen. Someone even said to me, they phoned me up, a random number phoned me up and goes, Jim listens to his podcast every single week, loves it. Shout out, to meet you. Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, I just want to uh, uh, up my game on the podcast, make it better, get more guests on, make it a better community and really carry on doing something that we love well we appreciate everybody that listens if you guys have feedback comments i know i think jack your dms are open as well i think mine are as well shoot us a message you know we try to get back to them as soon as possible um there's a lot to digest with this game you know obviously let's just take this game in you know 
in kind of uh, playing with the times here. Let's lower this game, not necessarily into the Royal vault, but let's lower this game into the season vault. Let's seal this one over. Forget it happened. You go out and win the next two against Pittsburgh and against Atlanta. You come out three and one. I think you're back on track. I think people will let this taste wash out of their mouth, but you got to come out. I'll tell you right now, Jack, they go out and beat the Steelers 28-6, 35-4, or 35-4, 35-14, something like that. They'll forget this game. And that fan, they'll be raucous and ready to go come week four. So focus. Paul gave you the speech for the uh, that. Jack showed you the blueprint for what to do in the media rooms. Go out and beat the fucking Steelers. And on that note, go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.